We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, please. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you... Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, I don't have one particular passage for you to turn to today, but if you want, you can go to Luke's Gospel in chapter 1 to begin. We've been in Luke, obviously, but this message is entirely of another sort today. Uh, over the years, I have um, given messages at Christmas time that uh, are titled something like my message today, The Angel's Perspective on Jesus' Birth. We've looked at the viewpoint of different participants in the story, and by the end of the message, I hope we'll draw all of those together from the last several years of uh, ministry of these messages so that you can see what, what I'm trying to get at for us in this message, The Angel's Perspective on the Birth of Jesus. The key role of angels regarding Jesus' birth is that God assigned them to deliver messages to various people from heaven. And so I thought, even though this is a little different because we're not thinking about it, you know, like, you know, what, it, what was it like from Joseph's viewpoint? Or what about from Mary's perspective? Or what about Zacharias and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the wise men and Herod and all of those that we've gone over before. This is a little bit more difficult for us because we have to really put on some good imagination to think what would it be like for an angel who is experiencing this. The word angel means messenger. Not surprisingly, angels are messengers. Oftentimes they do other things too in God's service. Sometimes humans are even called angels, messengers, because not because they're particularly angelic in their appearance or behavior, but because they bring a message from one to another. And as messengers, it is their message, these angelic messengers, message that made the impact in history. Their perspective doesn't change really what happened, but it's interesting to imagine ourselves in their shoes as participants and observers and wonder what they were thinking or how they processed this whole scenario. As difficult as that is because of how different they are than us, it's still something that I think might give us a little bit of profit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 11, and we'll read some lengthier portions this morning, it says in chapter 1, verse 11, this is to Zacharias as he is in the temple serving God, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Prepare your heart to receive the Lord if you haven't today. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Later on in Luke, another angelic message comes in verse 26. Just drop down there a few verses. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So you're going to see that I'm going through all the texts of Scripture that have to do with the angels and the lead up to and the birth of Christ. And having come in, Verse 28, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Not only the son of David, but the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now when I was reading this, in preparing for this this morning, something came to mind, and that is that not only did Mary believe the word that the angel spoke to her, but the angels themselves, Gabriel in this case, believed what they were saying. It was not a case that the angels were unwilling participants in this drama. They knew from their time in heaven They knew from their interactions with God and their observation of God's character over thousands of years that what God planned was going to happen just as sure as if it already had happened. Think of that angelic perspective. Some of these angels have been attending the very throne of God. All of them know God from back in the beginning when he created the angels at the foundation of the earth. And that, those six days of creation and the opening moments of that period of time, he created the angels. Angels are not eternal in the past. Make sure you know that. They are created beings, created as a, as a company, if you will. They don't reproduce. There's a fixed number of them. And they were there with God and have taken orders from, directly from his voice, if you will, for thousands of years. And they knew that every promise that God makes, he keeps. Every word that he says is good. Every covenant that he makes will not be broken. And so these angels believed what they were 
seeing. And they saw the preparation, perhaps, if you will, the, the um, atmosphere, the uh, conversation, the, the knowledge that the lamb had been slain before the foundation of the world, and now this was being implemented. Very interesting perspective, I think. Back in Matthew chapter 1, after the things we just read happened, something else happened. In Matthew chapter 1, where uh, our brother Drew read, it says that Joseph was thinking about what was going on here, that, uh, you know, his soon-to-be wife was pregnant. seemed like, uh, obviously, something was amiss there. Uh, But while he thought about these things, verse 20 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, this is extremely important, okay? For he will save his people from their sins, okay? Every single time you hear the name Jesus, Maybe you've never thought of this before. From now on, when you hear the name Jesus, however it's used, some of you young people, some of you people in workplaces hear the name Jesus used in a very poor way. You might say something like this. You know what Jesus means? The name means Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. because He's named that because he will save his people from their sins. And so using his name as a curse word is a sin for which he died to save you from that sin. It's interesting here that, too, an an angel can appear to a person in that person's dream. You know, how that works mentally, physically, it's beyond my ability to understand but it's not that much more difficult than supposing or thinking about how an angel could appear to Mary in her waking hours. An angelic appearance is difficult to maybe ponder on whether it's at night or in the daytime. I I was thinking about this. I had a dream recently, and this was a strange dream for me. I don't have, I don't know if I've ever had one like this before, but I was very distinct in my memory, I was studying the Bible in this dream. And I had one of those aha moments, you know, where you're like, ah, the light bulb just turned on. I remember that much clearly. The problem is when I awoke, I could not remember what the aha moment was. (laughs) It's like, oh man, that was a good insight. Why can't I get that thing back again? But there was no angel in that dream. An angelic dream visitation is so extremely rare that only a few people, a handful of people in world history have ever had that experience. But thankfully, Joseph remembered the dream, and most certainly he shared it with Mary and perhaps to Jesus when Jesus was older. And that information got to Matthew, and Matthew recorded it for us in his book. Now, by the way, just as an aside, I find it interesting, Matthew is an ideal person for this, just like Luke was in his, with his physician background. Luke was an accountant, or Matthew was an accountant, a, a tax man. 
uh, he had the numbers. He probably had a mind for that sort of thing, a mind for details, for recording things. And here he records this detail uh, for us, which is fascinating. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, just a little beyond where we read this morning in verse 13, it says um, to, about the wise men, when they left, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord de- uh, appeared to Joseph in a dream, again here in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now it says there, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now in the Old Testament era, the angel of the Lord was often, if not always, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. We know this because that person did not refuse worship, which means only one thing. That person is a divine person, right? Angels will not receive worship. In fact, when John in Revelation fell down to worship an angel, the angel said to him, look, (laughs) you can't be doing that. I'm one of your fellow servants of the prophets. I'm just like you are, just a servant of God. But you see in in Judges chapter 6, when uh, Samson's parents encountered the angel, they offered a sacrifice to him. And remember how this angel went up in the flame, right up into heaven with with the sacrifice? And they said, boy, we are in trouble now because we've seen God. (laughs) Um, It says in uh, Exodus, this is very interesting, I think. Maybe we overlooked this from time to time. It says in Exodus 3, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I will turn now aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. This is the angel of the Lord now, God calling him from the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses replied, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And he said, moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Here's the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ in Exodus, and he was there in Judges and many other places. But here it's not the angel, it's an angel, because Jesus is now coming to be incarnate at this time. The angel of the Lord will not appear at this point. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Again, here it is, the third time, in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Indeed, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will be the heirs of salvation. That's what Hebrews 1.14 says. They do protect God's people from time to time, lest they dash their foot against a stone. Remember Psalm 92.11-12, that text that, the, that the, the devil misused against the Lord Jesus. 
Or in this case, God used the angels to protect his son and his parents, lest they become the victims of attempted murder by Herod. The angels were in the role of a heavenly secret service detail, protecting the Lord his entire life and even serving him at times of extreme difficulty. Remember, in the wilderness, after his temptations, the angels came and ministered to him. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was sweating great drops of blood, an angel came and strengthened him for the task that he was about to face. The angels had other jobs, though, two other messages that they passed, two others a little less directly involved in the birth of Christ. We turn to Luke 2.8, and we see now there were in the country same shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord again stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angelic message and perspective here recognizes the blessings and benefits of the Lord's birth in two directions. The first, it says, glory to God in the highest. That God could come in a manger and did and did so to save humanity from eternal destruction. All of that is a marvel and an astonishment to us, and the angels too, for that matter. But it points out the absolute glory and honor of God who would do such a thing. He's not obligated to do so, though you might try to argue that he's obligated to care for his creatures. After all, he made them, put them here. But you know, after humans rebelled, against God, as I see it, a good bit of that obligation vanished. He was not morally obligated to keep sinners alive indefinitely with his care. In fact, it would be bad for them if he did that. The angels observed all of this. Note the glory of God is implemented here, I say, through the birth of the Savior King. It's it's one thing for us to say God deserves glory and we give him glory and all of that, but how? More than just by our words, here God is glorified by the coming of the King, his Son, Jesus, and in his life and work of redemption and his future reign over the kingdoms of the earth. Glory to God in the highest. The second aspect of blessing brought by the angels from heaven, and they're looking at this and they're saying, glory to God is going to go that way and and peace on earth toward men. Now, there's a little debate here. Is this goodwill toward men or God is favorably disposed toward men of goodwill? Maybe you're familiar with that variant in your Bible translation there. But that debate doesn't bother me much, certainly not for this context. The point is God has been good. To mankind. 
And in that goodness, he has extended an offer of peace to all people who otherwise are not inclined toward peace with God. For when we were yet enemies, God reconciled us by the death of his son. Acts 10.36, Peter goes to Gentile Cornelius and he says to him, God sent Jesus and he came preaching peace to us. Well, Romans chapter 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Or Philippians 1.2 and many other portions of scripture where Paul addresses the church and says, grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Note that peace comes through Christ in all of these portions of Scripture and 20 others that I didn't cite to you. In fact, the Scripture says if you are struggling with anxiety, what do you do? You let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And the God of peace will be with you, it says later on in Philippians 4.10. People today talk about peace through diplomacy, peace through negotiation, peace through meditation or peace through mediation or peace through arbitration or peace through basic human kindness or even peace through strength. But real peace only comes through Jesus Christ. So the angels were messengers. They gave these messages and had that unique perspective and privilege to be able to carry a message from heaven. Imagine God telling Gabriel, here's the message. Go, take it. Word for word, don't mess it up. And this is where you're going and when you're going and how you're going. And then to, that's to Mary and Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and all of these ones, the shepherds get Joseph out of Israel and, okay, now go down and bring him back up out of Egypt and all of that, back and forth, messengers. But angels were also inquisitive observers. Inquisitive observers, in, in addition to being messengers. First Peter 1, 10 to 12 is the text here. It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Do you know that the message that you are so familiar with today, that Jesus came and died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And if you repent and believe the gospel, you will have eternal life. That message, besides that, that Christ would come and reign in his kingdom and have a a, a whole cohort of people who have trusted in him, who have paid homage to him through repentant faith, and he would establish his kingdom over the whole world. That message the prophets of old wanted to understand. And you sit here today and take it as just like it's old hat. You've known it for years. You've heard it for years, even if you don't believe it. These prophets were looking at this and saying, what is God doing? How is he going to do this? They were searching. Verse 11 says, what what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. How does that work? To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, now which are commonplace, which are old hat in the preaching of the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
In fact, these things are things which angels desire to look into. Just that little phrase at the end of verse number 12 is fascinating. Angels. What is this about? Well, angels know the information, most certainly. They know the the history. They know the theology. But they do not know the experience of sin or the experience of distance from God and disobedience and rebellion. Can you imagine the angels who are holy angels, not the unholy ones, we'll mention them in a minute, have never been an inch away from God in their relationship like we have. We've been terribly far away from God, haven't we? Wandered far away from God, all of us. All of us have gone astray, each one to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. They do not know the feeling, these angels, of restoration, of forgiveness, of grace, of redemption. They don't know what it means to be in bondage to sin or to be released from that bondage. The depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God and the love of Christ blow their minds, just like we are boggled in our minds when we think about what God has done. The angels long to learn and understand these things. And notice that there's a strong interest on their part, not just mere curiosity. This I pull from the uh, wording when it says that they desire to look into. They, they have a strong motivation to try to dig into this. That's what it really means. What is this all about? From their perspective, they ask. I, I can't experience, you know, from an angel's perspective, I can't experience it. Nor would I really want to experience it. Why? Because of the pain that all that sin has caused those earthlings down there. Why would I want that? But it is fascinating. You know, I see what happened to my relatives, the demons, over here. How they're fixed in their evil. There's no help for them. So just how is it that God can help humans that have sinned? And to that point, we come to our third heading, which is the perspective of angels as outsiders. Outsiders. Angels who sinned are not recipients of Jesus' help. They're reserved for judgment. Good angels are ministers to those who are heirs of salvation, but they themselves do not experience that salvation that they serve. It is people whose nature Jesus took upon himself that he could save them who receive the benefits of salvation. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You can pretend all you want that you don't fear death, but let's just face the facts, friends. You can be the the most staunch atheist, but in your heart of hearts, do you really want to face death? and what's on the other side, and maybe you're wrong about your annihilistic doctrine. In fact, you are. But just from your perspective, think about it. Jesus came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For he indeed does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
holy angels are not concerned with death because they're not subject to, to it. They're not in bondage to sin either. So there's no need for them to, to, to be concerned. They're kind of outsiders, as we've said. No need for them to be jealous even, as if God's giving, them, giving humans something that, you know, oh, I want that. Angels don't care about that. They, they have everything they need. They have no need for our salvation, have everything already in place. Fallen angels, on the other hand, are known as demons. They're subject to sin and in bondage to it, but there's no redemption for them. They made their choice to follow Lucifer, and they're confirmed in that choice. I presume they were well-informed at the beginning. They knew what would happen. The offer from Satan was unidirectional. Once you go down that path, you don't come back. There's no release from that taskmaster for the angels who followed him and became demons. Mostly we focused, of course, this morning on, on holy angels and their perspective on Jesus' birth. And, and by extension, you know, the, the larger situation of his service to mankind. But what about the unholy angels? Their, their perspective on this is one of dread and doom. They saw the baby born. They could do nothing about it to stop it. And despite all of their machinations through Herod, oh, I, I should back up. <laughs> despite all of the demonic machinations against the people of Israel over all of time preceding that, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, everybody else, the Philistines and all of that, Haman, that wicked Haman, couldn't wipe out the Jewish people. These angels saw the baby born, and despite all those machinations, even through Herod, they could not kill the holy child. They watched helplessly as he grew and prepared to defeat their master and the sin that they had used to blind and bind humanity for all of history. They were subject to Jesus every time they encountered him in the Gospels, remember? Who art thou? The Holy One of God, have you come to torment us before the time? They had to obey his command to leave all the people that he encountered and cast demons out of. They had to stop shouting about the real identity of the Son of Man when he told them to be quiet. They were forced to be obedient. They faced certain judgment. Incarceration, many of them, now and through the Millennial Kingdom and then unending fire and hell as God's people experience the blessings of the eternal kingdom of God. And they do, if any do, they do deserve punishment for all of the wickedness that they have wrought on the world. So over the years, I've done a series of perspectives messages on Christmas. Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, now the angels, even Herod we mentioned, time past. This has helped us to have a holistic and biblical perspective on the birth of Jesus. We should not be, and this is the perspective that I'm trying to get into our hearts here. We should not be like Caesar Augustus. Remember in Luke chapter 2, it says, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. He, on top of the heap in the Roman Empire, was unaware of the birth of the king of kings. We shouldn't be like that, unaware. We shouldn't be like the chief priests and the scribes who, when they were asked by Herod, where would the child be born, and they knew, they saw these wise men coming from the far east, 
traveled over a thousand miles, these wise men, compelled by the belief that the time for the birth of Messiah had come. Besides all that, they saw a guiding star for them to take them to the place, and the scribes and the Pharisees were unmoved. Oh yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's it. Like, wouldn't you go and try to find out what was going on there? You certainly shouldn't be like Herod, threatened and violent about a baby born in Bethlehem. And all of Jerusalem with him, by the way. He was troubled because there was a threat to his dynasty. They were troubled because he was troubled. Because when the king gets troubled, especially a guy like Herod, he starts killing people, which he did. But putting them aside, we should be like Mary in our perspective on Christmas, who, though troubled and amazed, was willing to serve the Lord. Did you notice that? Let it be be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say. She understood her Hebrew scriptures too and used them to magnify the Lord and rejoice in Him in her magnificat. We remember that from our studies of it before. We should be like Joseph in his perspective, a just man who was immediately obedient to the word of God by the angel. And like devout Simeon, who was eagerly anticipating the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. And like Anna, we should be, who was looking for redemption in Jerusalem. And like Zacharias, who, although initially disbelieving, listen, all of us have been in that boat, haven't we? Not believing. He came around and he recognized that God had visited and redeemed his people and was keeping his covenant promises. Tremendous testimony in his Benedictus. I often wonder about wise old Elizabeth. We don't get really any of her perspective too much, although she blessed Mary for her belief in the Lord and the baby she carried, and Elizabeth had that great joy of the quickening of John in her womb. What about John himself? Well, he was only three months old when the Savior arrived, so uh, he didn't have too much to say about the matter. He was the forerunner. We cannot know his perspective, nor of his mother, because the scripture doesn't mention it to us. But, but we can be like the shepherds who quickly found the baby Messiah and worshiped him and glorified God. And like the wise men, listen to this, who gave time and treasure to seek the Lord and found him and did not aid the persecutor Herod in his quest to kill the baby Jesus. And we can be more like the angels who inquisitively participated in the birth narrative by bringing news and guidance from heaven to men and who praised God. Remember, the multitude of the heavenly host came praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Like them, too, we should have a desire to look more into the things of Christ. Things which angels desire to look into? Do you desire to look into those things? Or are they just like, eh? We ought to share the message of his birth. Those angels did. And like them, we ought to praise our God. Heavenly Father, may it be that we share those perspectives that we can with all of these ones we've mentioned today. And with those inquisitive, messaging, 
worshiping angels. Help us to be just a little bit more like them as we go about, share the message of Christ with others, and even in our own homes, with our children and grandchildren. Let us not pass over the real meaning of Christmas, that Jesus was born to give his life a ransom for sinners so that we could have eternal life. All of the liberal trappings that have come around, the unbelief that has surrounded Christmas and turned it into a a feel-good, warm and fuzzy, secular, materialistic holiday, may we put those thoughts in their little place in the corner and elevate the right perspective on Christmas. Because we believe in the God-man who came for us. We pray in his name. Amen.